This is Democracy on the Move. Democracy on the Move is a podcast tribute to the people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. This episode is being released on Sunday, July 2, 2023. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast, and thank you for joining us. In today's short podcast, I'll talk about the recent Supreme Court decision on affirmative action. The idea is to promote meritocracy, but I argue that meritocracy is a fantasy. But first, I'd like to talk about a special project called The Red Album, Pagan Voices for Reproductive Rights. The Red Album is a compilation of music to raise money to support abortion access and reproductive human rights organizations. Each artist associated with this album gifted an original piece for this multifaceted, strong, and poignant emotional call to action. The Red Album was released on the one-year anniversary of the overturning of Roe v. Wade, June 24, 2023. You can find more information at www.redalbum.org. Red Album is all one word. www.redalbum.org. Let's consider this thought. A group of students denied admission at Yale could be admitted regardless, and it would perform on par with other students. Now let's put a pin in that thought for the moment. I'll get back to it shortly. Now many elite colleges like Yale and Harvard face a problem. There is far more demand for their education than they have resources to provide. The result is that many students who apply at these colleges are turned away. Colleges are therefore forced to implement some sort of entry criteria in selecting their incoming freshman students. To a large degree, they rely on high school academic and extracurricular performance as a measure of a student's caliber. The problem is that this mechanism reflects the quality, or lack thereof, of each student's high school. It also does not accurately capture the struggles that some students have when going through high school. Here's the thing. If we fully embrace equality and recognize the equal potential in every individual, the background of someone's high school should become irrelevant. After all, one cannot control where he or she is born, what family they are born into, or to a large degree, what schools they attend. So the way the system turns out, high school kids are forced to compete with each other in order to obtain a coveted seat at a prestigious college. Some kids come from really good high schools, others not so much. Some kids are sent to private high schools where they get personal tutoring and other services designed to optimize their academic potential, while others have to flip burgers while attending a crowded public high school just to help feed their family. From that perspective, it doesn't seem fair that college admissions depends only on high school performance, does it? The practice of making high school students compete for college admissions fosters an unhealthy incentive. Christine Emba, a Washington Post columnist and Princeton graduate, put it this way, quote, It creates a lot more pressure and a lot more competition among students to use anything they can to either get themselves in or try and take away supports that would help other students get it in their place. She goes on to say that this competition has pitted Asian American students against black students in the use of affirmative action. Now, the problem here 
is that African-American students generally score lower on academics, but because of considerations other than high school academic and extracurricular performance in this merit-based selection process, they often gain admission over their Asian-American peers. Now, this is a relatively recent phenomenon over the history of many of these schools. Historically, college admissions largely depended on legacy. If your father was a Yale graduate, for example, your acceptance was nearly guaranteed. It's interesting that George W. Bush, a Yale graduate like his father and grandfather, once argued in 2004 during his presidency that college admissions should be merit-based and colleges should strive for diversity, hinting at the elimination of legacy preferences. Well, the legacy system still lives, but it is in coexistence with a merit-based system. Now, this idea of merit-based college admissions seems fair in principle. After all, it echoes Dr. King's sentiment of judging individuals based on their character, not on the color of their skin. But I argue here that the concept of meritocracy is seriously flawed. Firstly, how can we holistically assess someone's character? Should we focus solely on their high school academic achievements? Well, it's an important factor, no doubt, but using academic performance as the only measure is overly simplistic. You can't assess someone's true merit based on a single activity or accomplishment. Furthermore, it's difficult to disentangle a person's skin color from their character. Now, ideally, skin color should not make a difference, but in practice, society behaves differently. Our racial identity can drastically alter our experiences and interactions, such as a traffic stop scenario. While the 14th Amendment guarantees equal protection under the law, it might feel meaningless to a black man anxiously waiting for a police officer to approach his car. The second challenge with meritocracy arises when people, despite advocating for merit-based treatment, display biased behaviors. Take, for example, the recent Supreme Court case involving Lori Smith, a Colorado web designer who refused to provide services for a same-sex couple. Did Smith consider the couple's merits? Or did she make a quick decision based on her biases and claimed refuge in her First Amendment rights? It's at this juncture that the concept of meritocracy collapses, leaving us with the question of how we determine merit. I argue that merit is subjective. What one person considers worthy may differ from another person's perspective. The idea of colorblindness is, I believe, cynical and overall ineffective. We are all unique, carrying around our own merits and our own regrets. We are shaped by our skin color, our religion, our family, our gender, our sexual orientation, all of which influence how we perceive ourselves and how we're perceived by others. It's inevitable and often unjust that these factors will influence how we are judged by others. To deny this is to deny our own humanity. So the question remains, how should we determine which students gain admission to our higher education institutions? Should we consider academics, community service, personal essays, interviews, background stories? The recent Supreme Court ruling eliminates just one of those criteria, race, but it does not eliminate other factors like heritage, religion, gender, or sexual orientation. It only removes the influence of race, an act that I find deliberate and harmful, because it erases the ongoing realities of racism under the guise of, quote, achieving equality. 
This decision ignores systemic obstacles faced by marginalized communities, forcing them to compete without the tools to do so, similar to starting a foot race with one's ankles bound together. Asian Americans were one of the primary driving forces behind the Supreme Court ruling. Now, statistically, Asian Americans have outperformed other racial groups academically, and particularly in the context of college admissions to Harvard. Yet they were underrepresented among incoming freshmen, seemingly displaced by black students. This disparity may be attributed to various factors, including Harvard's mission to achieve diversity through quotas. Many Asian Americans found this system unjust, so the simplistic solution, embraced by the Supreme Court, was to eliminate race as a factor in merit consideration. Yukong Zhao, president of the Asian American Coalition for Education, hailed this decision, asserting that it preserves meritocracy, the foundation of the American dream. However, as I've earlier outlined, the notion of meritocracy is inherently flawed and, in my view, is a fantasy. Justice Jackson, in opposition to the Supreme Court majority ruling, argued, quote, Our country has never been colorblind. Deeming race irrelevant in law does not make it so in real life. In essence, race remains a significant metric. Unfortunately, the majority of the court did not agree. Labeling the Supreme Court decision as a step toward meritocracy is not only delusional, but potentially destructive. As Teo Barrow, a colonist for the Guardian U.S., put it, quote, American meritocracy is a myth that was crafted by the powerful to excuse their role in inequity. Ignoring all sociopolitical realities that make life harder for some people, so we don't have to talk about what makes it easier for others, or how the two are inextricably linked. This interpretation of the decision exposes a cynical strategy at play in the highest levels of our government. While marginalized groups continue to face discrimination in many societal interactions, we're suddenly expected to ignore these realities when it comes to college admissions. And keep in mind that this entire discourse often overlooks a critical aspect of college admissions, the legacy system. If one or both of your parents graduated from Yale, for example, your chances of getting accepted into Yale increase significantly, regardless of your academic performance in high school. Do you remember the pin I placed at the top of the podcast? Well, here it is. The legacy system is not heavily weighted on academic performance. So you end up with kids with less than stellar high school records getting to the front of the line because of their connections. So even though you don't have the academic credentials, you'll probably still do well in this situation. Why is that? Well, because at the end of the day, these colleges actually do a good job of educating young minds, no matter what background they come from. The case of George W. Bush is a good example. He started out in public school in Midland, Texas, and eventually attended high school at Phillips Academy in Andover, Massachusetts, a prestigious private high school. Despite the school's rigorous academic curriculum, Bush was known more for his social skills and personality than his academic achievements. He was a cheerleader and the president of his senior class. His grades? They were average. Yet, this did not interfere with his admission to or graduation from Yale, a privilege granted by his family's legacy. So it would seem you don't need stellar high school credentials to do well at an elite college. Anybody with enthusiasm and a willingness to learn can do well. This example also underscores a critical point. Regardless of their high school background or socioeconomic status, 
students attending colleges generally prosper. The meritocracy argument loses much of its validity when we consider that student outcomes, regardless of admission criteria, are often quite similar. Thus, the much-touted concept of meritocracy, in the end, seems useless, ultimately leads to a cynical attempt to mislead all of us into thinking that we're on a righteous path. At the end of the day, the recent Supreme Court decision, which sounds like it's making things more fair and just, is actually ignoring the fact that we're all dealt different cards in life. Real merit isn't just about what grades you got in high school. It's about your life's experiences and the challenges you faced. Take, for example, those lucky kids who get into Yale just because their parents were there. They might not have top grades, but they still succeed in college, showing us that good colleges can help any student thrive, not just the straight-A students. This ruling takes away from acknowledging the real-life experiences of different racial communities and glosses over the bigger picture. Instead of just looking at academic results, colleges should be looking at the whole person and their potential, and it should include race, among many other factors. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. And whether or not you agree with my concerns, I hope I was able to make you think. Hey, I don't want to grieve it. I simply want to inspire your ability to think and then act upon your beliefs. You've been listening to Democracy on the Move, a tribute to all those people and organizations who dare to reimagine our nation and drive it back to its original promise of democracy. Please tune in each week where we will feature guests and topics that will help keep you in touch with our march toward a more perfect union. If you have any questions or suggestions, or if you'd like to spot your future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us an email at info at democracyonthemove.org or contact us on our webpage at democracyonthemove.org slash contact. Democracy on the Move is all one word. Theme music, Murky Waters, performed by El Ray Music, used under license from Shutterstock. I'm Dan Schaefer, your host for today's podcast. I'd like to thank you for tuning in. It's been my pleasure to be with you today. Please have a safe week ahead. We hope you'll tune in again next week. And have a happy 4th of July.